My name is Chris Jensen, and this is my life, and welcome to it. Welcome to episode two of Chasing After God. In episode one, we looked at a little bit of my family history. We looked at my early history uh, in Christianity and um, my growing up, you know, high school, young adulthood, getting married. Um, falling out of grace with the church, trying to get back in, eventually deciding to move to Sacramento. So we take up the story, moving back into Sacramento and looking for a church. Now part of my church experience uh, when I was back up in Auburn, even in high school, I was exposed to a Christian writer named Watchman Nee. He was uh, writing in China, and he had some very unique ideas about Christianity. And a lot of what he wrote about had to do with how he understood the church in the very early days, all the way back to the days of the Acts of the Apostles in that first century. One of the main books that he wrote was a book called Spiritual Authority, and it aligned with my preconceived notion of uh, the hierarchy and obedience to those that God has placed you under or those that God has placed in authority over you. I very much believed in an over and under type of relationship when it came to authority. The other thing that really impressed me as I was examining the teachings of Watchman Nee was his idea that in each location, in each locale, there was a true church. And it didn't have a fancy name. It was the church of or in Corinth, right? Or the church in Rome. You know, the church was named after the city. And so when I began looking around to find a church for my new wife and I to attend, I went to the phone book. Back in those days, we had phone books. You know, we couldn't just look on our phone. We didn't have like a contact list. I didn't even begin to be in anyone's imagination. So I went and looked at churches. And I looked and looked and looked. And sure enough, I found one called the church in Sacramento. I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. So we went. And lo and behold, it's religious genealogy did come from Watchman Nee, 
through one of his disciples named Witness Lee. Now, they had split from the other church in Sacramento that was founded under the teachings of Witness Lee because they didn't always agree with everything that was being taught. And we liked the little church. It was a little church, very little. It had a wonderful music section. Um, there was this rock and roll band um, playing very secular rock and roll music back in the, in the 70s, I guess, maybe even earlier. And um, they had been evangelized and accepted Christianity and had become the music for the church. Lots and lots of young people. It was very, very fun. Um, and so we attended that for a while. We had the opportunity to purchase a house. The way that went, we were living in an apartment. And I was listening to the radio. And someone was putting their house up for bid, basically. And my wife and I thought it'd be great to own a house. So I put a bid on it. And, and we lost. But the owners, or the, yeah, the people who won that bid owned another house. And we ended up buying it. And it was in the north northern Sacramento, off of Del Paso Boulevard. We had some great neighbors uh, who were also church members. That was not the plan, but that's how it worked out. And uh, we would get together, and, and it was very, we had a little community going on. I remember that that church also split. There were, there was like the head minister, pastor, whatever you want to call him. And then there were two deacons that worked with him and they had a falling out. I'm not quite sure what that was all about. Um, but anyway, the church split and my wife and I with, along with many others, went to form another church. And um, we met in the, uh, what's called a fellowship hall of a different church. We rented it out once a week. And, and we started meeting there. It wasn't long before someone showed up at the church who had a very deep affiliation with messianic, Christianity. And so we began to incorporate very, I would say, Middle Eastern sounding music. We incorporated dancing. You know, David danced before the Lord. Um, it became a very, very unique place um, in the world of churches. And then shortly after that, uh, 
someone arrived, and it wasn't just one person, I think it was a couple of people arrived, and they had experience with the charismatic gifts that are talked about in the New Testament, gifts of prophecy and healing and speaking in tongues and that sort of thing. And I was curious, you know, about all that stuff. And um, so we went to a, we were invited to someone's house. They were not part of the church, um, but one of the members of the church invited us out to their house, to this house, to meet this gentleman. And uh, lo and behold, uh, we both experienced what was at the time called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with speaking in tongues and and various things. That became a part of our Christian experience. During this time, and I'm not sure exactly of all the dates and the sequences of events, but while we were attending the churches in Sacramento, I lost my job. Um, I, I've made some strange decisions in my past. I was presented with the uh, option. I could either be fired or I could quit. I thought it would be more noble to quit than to be fired. So I quit without realizing if I had been fired, I might have been able to claim an insurance, uh, unemployment insurance benefits. We were buying a house at the time and I was out of work. So I did a bunch of jobs during that time. I uh, became a door-to-door -door vacuum cleaner salesperson. Um, I ended up quitting that job also. Um, after learning that the markup on those vacuum cleaners was enormous, we were selling them. It was the Rainbow Vacuum Cleaner. We were selling them for about $1,000 and having people fill out credit applications and purchase it on time. But the actual cost to the... So, so it was a multi-level kind of a deal, right? We worked for the main distributor guy who got his vacuum cleaners wholesale for $100. And he was selling them... We were selling them for him, basically, for $1,000. So he was making lots of money. But I didn't feel like it was um, ethical, so I quit that job. I then found another job selling knickknacks, odds and ends, uh, tools, cutlery, cooking ware out of the back of my car. It was it was really shady. Um, I'd go to this warehouse off of Auburn Boulevard, stock up with a bunch of stuff, then drive out and park and start trying to sell to people. I had a hard time with that. Um, I could never stick to the price, the set price, right? I always ended up negotiating and I always ended up selling it for far less, taking a loss and owing money to the guy that I was selling for. 
So the upshot of that was I ended up quitting that job too, just ran out of money. Couldn't find work. And so the bank started foreclosure. Um, now that I think about it, it was still during the time when we were attending the church in Auburn. I remember that much. I can put it in context in my head now. Um, I ended up responding to a job up halfway between Auburn and Forest Hill on a pony ranch. Sadly, the Christmas before, I had worked as a temporary employee for uh, United Parcel Service in their telephone customer service center, did quite well. And out of that um, cohort of temporary employees, I was the only one that they wanted to hire and keep on. But it was a bad year, and the district manager put a moratorium on hiring. And so that fell through. After we'd moved out of Sacramento, moved up to the Pony Ranch, we lived on the ranch for a while. During that time, the moratorium got lifted, and unbeknownst to me, uh, the Human Resources Department was looking for me to hire me. Couldn't find me anywhere. Meanwhile, we were working on the, on the Pony Ranch, and I was basically just doing you know, custodial type work, um, cutting wood, just various stuff. And one, a couple of amazing incidents happened. Um, Jeremy had been born, my son had been born, was living with us. And I remember um, my wife Susan was, I think she was putting away laundry one day. And as she's putting away the laundry, in the laundry basket, she finds a scorpion. That freaked us out because our son could have got stung by a scorpion. That would be very bad. So that freaked us out a little bit. Um, another interesting story took place. I remember I was, I was mowing what little grass there was in front of the little mobile home we were living in. And the lawnmower stopped working. And all of a sudden, I had a deja vu experience. One of those times where, you know, you get the sense that this has happened before, right? Well, I decided, for whatever reason, to just try to stay with it longer than just, usually it's just momentary, but I wanted to stay with it a little bit. And I was able to actually see what I was doing and go into the future with it and see how to fix it. And this is weird. I know it's weird. So when I finally, when the whole deja vu experience ended, I then went ahead and did what I saw. And indeed, it did fix the lawnmower. So be that as it may, I don't know how to explain that. It was very strange. Uh, and that's only happened. It has only happened that one time. 
I ended up having to leave that job. Uh, we were basically being paid under the table. There were no benefits. There was no insurance. Um, and I was working on a hillside picking up wood that had already been cut. And, you know, there's all kinds of special practices to take care of your back. And I was throwing the lumber into a, or the, you know, the pieces of wood into the back of a trailer. And I twisted and I did, I don't know what I did, but I hurt my back. And I told the, uh, the owner of the pony ranch about it. And he said, look, I, I can't keep you here. I don't have any insurance and you're going to have to go. So he gave us, a, I don't know, he gave us a little bit of time to put things in order. And I remember going to the paper, newspaper, looking for one ads back in Sacramento. And I saw the same ad for UPS, that temporary job in the telephone customer service center that I had seen the previous Christmas. So I called them and it just so happens I spoke to the guy that was trying, was looking for me. And he's like, oh my gosh, where have you been? Et cetera, et cetera. We, yes, yes, yes. Please come back. Um, so I got hired for the Christmas season and, uh, we moved back to Sacramento. We were able to find, um, a little apartment and we were poor. We were poor. We lived in a one bedroom apartment, the three of us. And it was in that apartment. We were, while we were living in that apartment that Ariel was born, my daughter, so we had, I think I'm remembering this correctly. I might be wrong. There were at least three of us in that little apartment. And we didn't have a phone. We couldn't afford to have the gas turned on. So everything was cooked on a hot plate. It was, you know, it was tough. Finally got hired by UPS, but it was part-time. You weren't, you know, making a lot of money. Eventually, I went full-time. And things got better. Yeah, they got better. And it was during somewhere in there that we made the transition to the church in Sacramento and followed our friends when when the, that church split. Yeah, a lot of it's a lot of it's jumbled up in my mind. As I'm thinking back, let me see if I can get this straightened out. You know, it's funny about memory, um, the way we remember things and how we place them all in certain boxes and they don't always fit. When we moved up to the Pony Ranch, I thought we were probably still at the church in, uh, in Auburn because I remember one of those church members coming out to the ranch. He, uh, he was uh, he worked for Placer County Sheriff, I think, and he drove his sheriff, his patrol car onto the ranch and turned his sirens on, and that was kind of weird. Um, but I don't think we were members of the church at that point because we were living in the house, and it, when we were living in the house, that was the time when we were a part of this other church down here in Sacramento.
So I think, you know, a lot of my memory is definitely not linear. And so I'll, I'll do my best not to bounce around too much. So anyway, where was I? Oh yeah, we're living in a little apartment on I Street. I go full time, so things are better. Um, we moved downstairs into a larger apartment. So now we're in a two-bedroom, which is working out much, much better. Um, so we have a room for the kids and a room for Susan and myself. A lot of what happens in the next year or so involves other people. And so I can't be completely transparent with everything. Oh, and you're going to hear some dings. I've got notifications showing up, and I should have turned that off. But I didn't, so I'll just leave that in there. Anyway, we were having marital problems, and uh, we decided eventually to separate for a while, which we did. I went and found a house to uh, rent. Uh, Susan started back to school. She was going to um, uh, Sacramento State, University of California, Sacramento. California State University, Sacramento. That's what it is, CSUS. And so we did that for a while. Then circumstances sort of caved in, uh, and Susan and I decided we would try to make it work again. So um, Susan had been living in the apartment that we had first moved, or that we were living in together, and so she moved into the house that I was renting. And uh, when we did that, finances changed. And so it became apparent that, uh, you know, we had two cars and we needed to consolidate to one. And we also had to move and get cheaper rent. Well, Susan was going to Sac State, and so we applied for student housing. And we got it. So we moved into student housing together, the four of us. And that went well for a while. And uh, then it became apparent that the marriage was just no longer viable. And so we decided once again to separate. I packed up everything that was mine and found a place to live, and I rented a room with three other adults. And um, I was still going to the church. Susan stopped going to the church. It was hard. You know, the church ended up knowing a lot of our business, and it was hard, and things weren't working well, 
we weren't getting along. Um, and at one point, I just said, you know, I felt that I had done a lot in obeying God, obeying my family. I didn't go away to Bible school. I tried to be obedient. I tried to do the right thing. I tried to live by the rules as I understood them. And 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 look what it's gotten me, you know. I tried to do the right thing in many ways, but I had some serious failings of my own that really led to the demise of the of the marriage and family, which I um, was having a hard time dealing with and really addressing. I felt that, in a lot of ways, God owed me something. God owed it to me to take care of me and make my life work. And so... After so many years of going to church and being, quote-unquote, a good Christian, I decided to turn my back on God and the church and just you know go my own way, see what it's like to not be a Christian and not label myself as. A Christian. And that's what I did. Now, prior to all of this, I had been curious about a lot of things. You know, um, when I started exploring the charismatic gifts. Now, if you know anything about me, you you will know that I don't do anything halfway. Once I get... Uh, be in my bonnet, so to speak. I study and I research and I read. I want to know as much about it as I can. And I started picking up on some more fringe ideas. There's a store, bookstore in town. It's called Beers Books. And at the time, Beers Books was right downtown off of J Street, I think. It was in a brick building, an old brick building. Real musty. Very much a used bookstore. Had all the, you know, the environment of a used bookstore. And they had an esoteric occult section, which, for well, I don't know why, but I was drawn to it. And I remember uh, just looking at these book titles and just being in awe that there was this whole system of thought that's outside of Christianity that I had, you know, never once exposed, my, exposed myself to. You know, one of the things about the charismatic movement for me was that I had always been told to stay away from it, that it was not of God, um, and that it was dangerous. And then after I got into it, I discovered otherwise, that A, it's not dangerous, that B, there are many God-loving people involved in the charismatic movement. And that made me start questioning everything. I started questioning the things that I'd been taught. You know, 
I remember reading somewhere that um, one of the reasons that kids of the 60s would try more, quote-unquote, dangerous drugs was because they were told that marijuana was dangerous. And when they started using marijuana, they discovered it wasn't dangerous. And so they didn't believe anything that people told them about the other drugs, and so they would try anything. And I, and I think that's the way it is. I, and, you know, as a, as a parent growing up uh, with growing children, um, realizing that in my own past, I felt I had been lied to, and therefore I challenged what I had been taught, and I tried things. I, I just had a, a trust issue, right? That with my own children, I would be really honest with them and try to tell them as much as possible. I remember at one point with my kids, I said, you know, if you ever have questions about drugs, let me know. And I'll, I'll get into that down the road here because I've, I've experimented much. One of the things that happened for me was that because I lived such a, oh, what would I say, a very restricted lifestyle, you know, I remember one time when I was going to Chico State. There were a few people from high school that had also gone to Chico State. And I had been invited to a house party. And I thought, well, that would be great, you know, to connect up with my friends from Placer High School. And, and I went. And... um Unfortunately, within probably about an hour or so, most everybody was passed out. And I was very much clean and sober. And I thought, well, this, this isn't very fun at all. And, and so I left. So I, I never did any experimenting when I was a kid. I didn't date in high school. Um... And so there's a side of me that, as I look back, you could almost say that there was this arrested development that took place. So here I am, I'm like 30, 36 years old, and I'm on my own for the very first time. You know, I, uh, I lived at home, and I was going to Sierra College. I then lived with my friend Greg, when I went to Chico State. Then I came back to Auburn, lived with my parents when I first started going to Sac State. And then when I moved to Sacramento with my friend Jim, I lived with him. And then we eloped and I lived with my wife. So this was the very first time that I really truly lived alone. which gave me the freedom to explore things I was interested in. One of the great desires of my heart was to truly know God, to truly experience God. Even though I was not a Christian, I still had a belief in something more than this physical realm. I believed in God. Something, anyway.
And I remember reading about something called Kundalini Yoga, studying about the Kundalini, learned a lot about it. Well, I learned a little bit. As a Christian, you want to get too far into that stuff, right? But now I'm on my own and I see a flyer. I forget where. It could have been in a, in a magazine or something. That there was this Kundalini, Kundalini yoga teacher here in Sacramento. Siri Gyan Singh Khalsa. And he would teach. It was through, I remember, I remember now, the learning exchange. We had something called the learning exchange. You could take classes. And it was in the lear- through the learning exchange. It was like an introductory class. And so I went to this introductory class. And I really, really enjoyed it. And at that introductory class, we learned that there were other classes that he would do classes occasionally, but that he also had something, and this was after a few classes, I think it was like, I forget what night of the week, he would have classes, introductory and you know intermediate and stuff like that. So after doing that for a while, I discovered that he was a Sikh, an American Sikh, S-I-K-H. Some people pronounce it Sikh, but it's Sikh. Wore a turban, yeah, American guy. But he was a student of this fellow named Yogi Bhajan. And he had a spiritual practice that went along with that. And it was something he did every morning. It was called sadhana, and it would consist of yogic practices, and then meditation, and then a reading from their holy books. Uh, And then breakfast. And it wasn't long before I was invited to attend. It was the beginning of it was a yeah it was the beginning it was a being it was an entering into a whole new world for me where I began to explore many spiritual practices religious groups trying to just trying to find my way I knew what I wanted. During this time, well, let me go back a little bit. While we were still a family, we started attending a Sacramento event called Dance Jam. It was held in a dance studio once a month. It was very family-oriented. There was face painting. There was a a quiet room. Um, We had recorded music and people could just dance their heart out. There were various percussion instruments, um, snacks. And it was a great night night out. And uh, it's where I met the person who was to become my landlord eventually. Um, 
It was where I met someone that would introduce me to Sufism, eventually, but not then. And it's where I learned about something called the sage experience. You know, sometimes we have to hear things over and over again before the time is right. And eventually the time was right. What I knew was that my life was not working for me. I was not happy. I was lonely. Uh, this was a time when I was estranged from my children, which I've spoken about that before. That lasted about a year. And I knew that I needed to make some serious changes in my life. And I didn't know how. And everything that I had done in the church, prayer and all that stuff, it didn't help me. At least I didn't think it did. And honestly, there are things in our lives that require more than just prayer. And this was one of them, the sage experience. And so I signed up. And uh, basically, it's a uh, weekend with a group of people. Uh, it's Friday night, all day Saturday, and, and most of Sunday. And you spend a lot of time with these people. I mean, a lot of time. And they put you through all kinds. There's like these facilitators, the leaders, who guide you through these various processes to discover more about yourself, to discover a lot of how your growing up has left impressions upon us. We make decisions about the world based on how we experience life as a child, how we experience our parents. You know, our parents are our first examples of what it means to be, you know, a man or a woman, to be a husband or a, a, a wife, to be a mother or a father. Those are our examples. And they're not always the examples that work for us. But until we explore all that, discover it, they remained almost unconscious motivators in our lives. And we do things that are not for our best, and we don't know why. Well, one of the components of the SAGE experience was breaking up into small groups. Um, they were called lifeboats. And we each had a captain in the lifeboat. And um, they would be our, uh, I don't know, what do you, I would, they were the captain. They were the person that would accompany us on this journey. They'd been through the process before more than once. Um, they were trained on how to help us work through what we were experiencing, some of which was very, very intense. Well, my lifeboat captain ended up being a good friend. He was an interesting character. I mean, he had this long red beard. I mean, it was long. It went, 
you know, it probably went down close to his belly button. It was long, long red beard. And little did I know at the time, it wasn't until I think the, the very end of the weekend when he told us a little bit more about himself and his personal life, that I realized I'd been introduced to him many years prior. And so let's go back. I was still a member of the family. I was still working for UPS in their customer service telephone center. And we were doing a fundraiser for KVIE, which was public television. And so a group of us from the phone center had volunteered to go manned or man, that was the way we talked about it back in the day. That's very uh, misogynistic. We staffed the phones um, one night. And, and that was a lot of fun. And I think there's a picture of that somewhere I have, but it's no, not a big deal. The big deal was that afterwards, as we were leaving, I was listening to two ladies in front of me chatting. And they were chatting about an experience this one woman had had. And she said, there's this, there's this group in Sacramento. And what they do is they have people come to, their, to the house and they, they talk about their astrology chart. Now, astrology is something that Christians aren't supposed to mess with. But, you know, maybe, maybe it's that whole, my whole lineage of my grandma being into spiritualism, Rosicrucianism stuff, the science of mind stuff. Maybe that, maybe I just have a bent toward it. I don't know. But in any event, my ears perked up. And I thought, wow, that is really cool. I could never do it myself, but it sounded really interesting. A few years later, in the Sage Experience, I'm introduced to my friend Gavin Carruthers. He's my lifeboat captain. He's the guy with the beard down to his belly button. And it turns out that he's an astrologer. And what he does with another, another guy, the two of them, they do this together, and they do it with their students, is they invite someone to have their chart, their astrology chart created, their natal chart, to come to the house and for an hour or so discuss what it means. Which that about, that blew my mind. Because I had been introduced to Gavin, unbeknownst to who he, I didn't know who he was, but I'd heard about him years earlier in this random conversation. And so, here he was. And to me, those connections aren't random. And that began another phase in my life when I started to study astrology. So we've started the journey. I've taken my first couple of steps. And uh, our next episode on Chasing After God, we will dive a little bit more into both Kundalini Yoga and astrology. 
One of the things that I've kept over the years is a letter that I received from Yogi Bhajan. And Yogi Bhajan is the person that brought Kundalini Yoga to the United States. I've not opened the letter before, so I will do that as I'm recording the next episode. So we have that to look forward to. I'll see you next time. My Life and Welcome to It is produced by me, Chris Jensen. Music for Chasing After God is Skywards by Will Van de Cromert. My technical consultant is David Patterson of Drowning Man Productions. You can listen to David on a podcast that he and three others uh, create. It's called Wasting All the Time, and it's improvisational comedy. The artwork is by David Edwards, and if you'd like, you can follow Dave on his Instagram account at evildave.tm. My Life and Welcome to It is hosted by Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform you can find anchor at anchor.fm you can also drop me a, uh, an email at uh, mlawti101 at gmail.com thank you for listening and uh I'll see you again on the next episode. Meanwhile, be well, be safe, and God bless.